Hi guys. Uh, good morning. It's morning for me. <laughs> um, I was sitting here and I was drinking my coffee and I just watched um, a little 10 minute segment uh, on the psychology of abuse. Um, just a 10 minute little thing. It's, it was uh, a clinical psychologist by the name of Hegestand, um, H-E-G-E-S-T-A-N-D. Um, you can probably find it on TED Talk. But her little clip kind of got my brain going on all this stuff, and so I pounded out this episode, and I kind of want to share my thoughts with you guys. Um, because on my... On my support groups, especially over the last few weeks, um, I'm seeing a lot um, of comments and posts about people who have just left or people that have been gone for months. And they're asking, why do I miss someone who treated me so badly? I'm seeing that a lot. And I I totally went through that. I, I beat myself up so bad over that. So I kind of wanted to, to share some stuff with you guys that I learned from this gal and then kind of just my own stuff that I kind of, that kind of clicked for me this morning about it all. So she was saying that, you know, um, basically the, the psychology of abuse and how they're able to do it is through them manipulating you and pressuring you emotionally. So we don't catch it as abuse. We don't, it doesn't click for us as abuse because it's so subtle until they can begin to say things that are worse. And then by that point we overlook it. And so I kind of just typed up this whole thing about that process. Like how do we go from this subtle thing to this huge thing and then by the time it's this huge thing where they're calling us names and hitting us and hurting us and like these big things that we normally would like never put up with how do we how do we get to that and then how do we get to a point where we miss them when we're trying to get away from them right that's like a big question for me too so I understand why people are that's a common thing I'm seeing in my support groups because I, th I think that's one of the biggest things, if not the biggest thing that you struggle with is this person is so awful to me and I still want them. I still miss them. Um, so that's what we're going to talk about today. So what, is, what does the beginning of it look like, the psychology of abuse that they use against us? Um, it's small things. Like, you're too sensitive. You took that the wrong way. You misunderstood me. You're wrong. Um, I remember that one, you're wrong. Um, I remember that one a lot, actually, when I would confront him about his intentions and his bad behavior or something that was bothering me that, you know, I needed to bring up to him, I would, I would talk to him about it, you know, or call him out for 
being jealous or, you know, sort of displaying this deviant behavior because I knew in my gut he was, he was kind of a bad seed, right? Especially further into it. Um, or at least that he had a, a bad seed side to him. They have dual nature, right? So when I think about that now, when I would tell him, I know you're up to no good, you know, even though I don't have any proof right now, I can feel it. Or you're acting differently towards me again. I know there's something going on. You act different. Um, he would say, you're wrong. And, you know, I could always, well, I won't say I could always tell because I didn't always tell, but, you know, because he was pretty talented. Um, so not always, but a lot of the time I could tell when he had been with someone or he had started fucking around again because his demeanor towards me became different. So even though I didn't have any proof on paper or whatever or in a text message like I did some of the time, you know, I still would know. Um, this is where my hypersensitivity to my environment due to growing up in um, abuse as a child came in handy with this individual. I notice everything, honey, especially if that uh, sensation comes over my body that tells me you're lying to me. I know, um, you know, or that someone's hiding something from me. My, I have a very strong intuition. Um, so because of my childhood, it's, this is not even something I have to put effort into. It just comes to me naturally. And that can be frustrating to deal with, you know, but so when I was with him, I would know, I, I noticed the slightest difference in the way he would look at me. His body language would change, uh, the tone in his voice when he would talk to me, like even on the phone, I could tell he would call me and his voice would just be different. And I would just, I would know that he had either done something the night before, or he was on his way to go do something that he wasn't supposed to be doing. Um, his facial expressions were different towards me. I would get to his house and I could just tell he was nervous. He wasn't as relaxed. Um, I got very good at, at noticing when he was nervous. And I would say, you know, especially towards the later end of us, um, when I got more comfortable with the idea and was accepting more of what was going on, that he was, you know, indeed uh, had a devious side. I would say, you're acting different, and I know you've done something again. Um, you know, but it took me a while to get to this point. So, kind of back to what I was saying before. So, in the beginning, um, when I would be beside myself, I wasn't as used to it. I would, I would just be beside myself, and the tough girl that was used to dealing with it wasn't there yet, ready for battle. Right. I wasn't on my game yet with this guy. Um, I was really in love. And when he would hurt me, it took me down for the count. Like I was down. I was in bed. I was crying. I was not able to function. Um, when I was in this state in the beginning, it was more confusing and it was easier for him to manipulate me. So back then when I would confront him, 
this is where he started to knock me off my rocker with that phrase, you're wrong. Um, I remember after our first really bad cheating incident, I said to him, I said, you don't love me. You, you don't do what you did to someone that you love. I knew that, right? You don't tell me goodnight. I miss you. I can't wait to see you in a few days when you're in my arms again. You don't say that to me and then hang up the phone and go have sex with someone else and lie about it and hide it and lie to her. She confronted him the next day um, after they slept together, finding out, you know, she found out about me and that he was in a relationship and he swore to her up and down that we had broken up. Um, I was awful to him and I dumped him every five minutes. This is what he was telling her, you know, poor me, I'm the victim, you know, so I knew from this first big bad situation, I knew he didn't love me. But when we continued communicating after this incident, he was able to manipulate me while I was down and depressed and feeling like shit into thinking I had gotten it wrong. You're wrong, Jen. I'll never hurt you again. I promise. I can't live without you. Don't let this crazy girl who's a liar, ruin something so special. I don't want to be with anyone else. You're wrong about me. And when I said to him, well, you shouldn't have slept with her then if you want to be with me so bad. You know, it was, I didn't sleep with her. I just had an inappropriate conversation with her. Right? He's lying to me. Uh, You're overreacting. And I want to make this work with you. So we went from my heart being so broken to his heart being so broken. He's guilt tripping me for leaving him. So within a few days, I had gone from feeling like this man had chewed me up and spit me out. Um, I had written him a letter telling him, you know, uh, that I shared in a couple episodes back. Basically that I I know who you are. I know your character now and I can't be with you. Even though I want to be, I just, I can't, I can't do that to myself. I knew what had just happened to me and that he was not a good man to give my heart to anymore. I went from that to feeling sorry for him because I was leaving him because of manipulation. So... That would be manipulation and pressuring emotionally at its finest right there. Um, And that's the psychology of abuse. They hurt you, violate you, and then break you down through these tactics to make you feel like it's your fault. And you are hurting them. They become the victim. And then you don't see that you are, in fact, a victim of abuse. Of their abuse. So when I see all these posts in my groups um, saying, why do I miss someone who treats me so bad? Well, excuse me. Um, This is partly why I think, because they're, they're good at making you feel like it's your fault. They treat you bad, but then make you feel responsible and guilty for what is happening in the relationship. They make you feel responsible and guilty for your own pain that they have caused you 
through these hurtful acts. But they talk their way out of it very well and in such a sneaky, uh, like insidious way. And this process happening over and over and over again brings on a huge feeling of um, worthlessness, right? I can't do anything right. This is my problem. I am doing this to myself, is what we tell ourselves. Uh, It causes anxiety when they do this to us because our body is telling us, you're right, you're right about them, you need to get out. They're not good for you, but then your mind, you know, they get your mind to disagree. So your gut telling you leave, fight or flight, and your mind and your heart who are telling you to stay are all fucking arguing with each other like a loud Italian family in the kitchen. Christ, what a mess, you know, then you're exhausted. And depressed because even though all the confusion is distracting you and the only way to, f- to feel better usually is to be with them again. Um, lay in bed and get that high that makes you feel all better. And that's where the honeymoon phase comes from. Um, the honeymoon phase is, is another stage in the cycle of abuse. And it happens over and over again until you have no sense of what is real and not real anymore. What's your responsibility and what's theirs? You just become like an anxious, depressed mess that feels unworthy. And once in a while, when they feel like it, they come back and make you feel good again. They make you feel seen and loved again through sex and seduction and sweet talk. They take the hurt away and you become dependent on them emotionally. Okay, so that's how we get stuck. See how dangerous the situation is? Uh, The very person that is harming you becomes the only person that can make the pain stop. Or so you think, until you start to understand you can save yourself from this cycle by staying away and going no contact. But unless you understand all this, you know, it, it's not going to happen. And it takes time. Even after you understand it, it takes time to go no contact. It does. Um, you know, because we romanticize. So let's talk about that, romanticizing someone. That's really hard to stop doing. And I think it happens from, from all the things I've read and everything. Um, the research says they think it happens from um, this attachment style that is developed. So when you grow up with parents or some other caretaker or you know even a close friend or other family member, um, that is a figure that you both admire and fear, this creates a conflict. Um, And this conflict is a nervous, anxious attachment style, or sometimes it's called an unsecure attachment style. And it causes us to associate love and safety 
with being fearful of someone that hurts us sometimes and other times they are the person who supplies affection and love. So it's not consistent. Um, We come to feel that we have to earn that side of them by being a good girl, you know, or a good boy, um, a good kid. We have to turn our own needs off and make sure that theirs are getting met in order to have a stable, loving parent figure around us, which makes us, you know, makes us feel more stable, right? When our parent is showing us love and affection, we, we feel more stable as a kid. Um, so what did this look like for me? If I didn't stress my mom out by having needs, she wouldn't drink and I'd have my sober, normal, a loving mom that I adored being around. If I came home and told my mom, you know, hey, I'm dealing with conflict at school, or hey, I'm really upset um, about yours and dad's divorce, or anything I was dealing with, these are my feelings about it, um, she would stress and, and she, she would drink, and then I would lose my mom. And she would become this person that I didn't feel safe around. She would drive with me drunk in the car. Uh, She would accidentally light her hair on fire on the stove, you know, shit like that. Um, Just, it would just be me and my sister and my mom was in the garage drunk, chain smoking, talking to her friends on the phone, not taking care of us. So I had to put my needs aside in order to keep my sober mom there. So I didn't, I didn't have needs. Um, and we always talked about her needs and her feelings, right? I was, was kind of her little soundboard because I think a, um, her friends got sick of listening to her drama with my dad because she kept going back or she took so long to leave him and B, she hid stuff from them. You know, she didn't have anyone else who was there and witnessed the treatment that fully understood, uh, besides me. My dad is, is pretty personable when he wants to be. Uh, most people tend to like him if he cares enough to keep that facade up. So I was the, I was the only relatable person to her in her abuse, which I get, right? You need someone who understands. But, um, even though I made her feel less alone, I was a child and not the appropriate outlet for that. You know, she wasn't doing the work. She wasn't getting help. She wasn't finding uh, people her age that were going through it. She was using me for that. So to sum it up, um, I had a lot of responsibility as a kid to make sure my mom was okay. So my needs went unattended and I learned to ignore them. So... This is what I understood love to be. And I can explain that all to you today, but in my 20s, I couldn't. And in my relationship with my new romantic abuser, I couldn't. I I didn't get that. So, what does this do? Um... This kind of start in life makes love feel uncertain. Um, It makes you believe 
a false core thing, which is, I am not worthy of love. You know, I'm not getting it consistently, so I must not be good enough like my friends are to get it like they do from their parents to get the stability. Uh, There must be something wrong with me. And what it also does is it hands you fear of abandonment, which your partner who struggles with narcissistic personality disorder also is extremely fearful of, right? Abandonment. They can't be by themselves. They cannot. They survive on the affection and emotional reactions that they get from abusing someone and narcissistic supply from other people. They have to have that. Um, My guy always used to say to me, I love how much you care. Uh, Even when we were fighting really bad, he would say that sometimes. And while I thought it was an endearing comment, about me being a loving person towards him, what he actually was saying is, I love how much emotion and energy I can suck out of you due to me having control over you. Okay. But you don't realize that when you don't understand what's up with them. And I think the number one thing, if I'm really, really um, honest with myself about why it's so, so hard you know, why it was so hard for me to leave him and, and not feel bad for him and not miss him is I didn't want to abandon him because I had been emotionally and physically abandoned by both of my parents in very big ways. And I didn't want to do that to him. But I came to understand how um, unhealthy that dynamic is to be so dependent on each other and and think of it in that way, right? You should never sacrifice yourself um, to not abandon somebody. Um, so what this all set me up to do was be grateful for any kind of love when I felt like I got an opportunity to feel it, even if it came with abuse. So what this looked like for me before him, um, as this pattern for me kind of came along in life, um, it manifested as a few very unstable uh, hypersexual partners in high school. My first two kind of young loves uh, before I got married and a lot of promiscuity thereafter. Uh, I had a bod. I looked like I was 25 at 16, and that's how I knew I could get something that kind of felt like love, which was sex. Uh, I've had a real issue in my journey um, relating good sex to love. That's that's been a big part of my struggle in, in trying to find healthy love and figure out what that is, and... You know, I've come to figure out that passionate sex does not always equate to love, let me tell you. 
This attachment style also caused me to have very poor boundaries. That's a huge part of my recovery um, is coming to understand and know what it is to have solid boundaries and not feel guilty about them, to not put myself aside to please other people, right? Um, I'm working on not internalizing, which is, you know, looking inside myself for some kind of explanation for my partner's behavior trying to find blame within myself. I was brought up to blame myself if the people that were supposed to provide me love and protection didn't that day. Up, down, up, down. And inside it was, what can I do better to have my life not be this way or have my parents not be this way? Then later on it became... What can I do better to not have him angry with me, upset with me, cheat on me, hurt me, ignore me, devalue me, and discard me? So, if you're asking yourself, why do I miss someone that treats me so badly? Try taking a step back and do some timeline work of your life and how it's gone with people that you've been attached to what type of things do you relate to love what type of people and what type of behavior do you relate to love have you had prior relationships where you've had to put your your own needs aside to receive love have you had to compromise boundaries and do things you are uncomfortable with to receive what you thought was love or affection. And, you know, I think as a defense mechanism to fight the loneliness and hurt caused by a loved one, um, if you haven't, if you don't want to face the reality of the situation, we romanticize what could be. Um, I think that's where that comes from. You know, we romanticize the relationship or the person, you know, and, and envision what could be instead of what actually is to hold on to hope and faith that there is good in the world. When you're living in a world of, of despair and pain, it's easier to think good about someone we love than it is to face the bad. And... I think our brain tends to turn this on when when we're in the cycle of abuse. It's it's actually quite involuntary for me. I've noticed. Um, so you know, I'll I'll catch myself doing it now. You know, um, but before I, I didn't even I didn't even know that that's what was going on. It was just happening, and it's not convincing yourself. Um, it's actually, I think, our mind's way of easing the pain. And it likes to tell you that this person loves you too, when in fact they do not. So if you find yourself romanticizing the relationship or the person because it eases the heartbreak and the psychological injuries or the physical ones to have um, a version of them that won't hurt you, 
and calm your anxiety, you know, that's, that's definitely something that went on for me when I was in the cycle of abuse. Um, so that could be why you miss someone that treats you so badly, right? And I'll be the one to tell you it's, it's not because you're stupid and it's not something to feel guilty about or have shame over because these personality types that are abusive, right, that have this pattern of behavior that was going on before you and it will continue after you, they see that in people. They saw that in you, that you have the ability to function in this way and pray and they prey on you on purpose because they understand that they can keep the abuse cycle going without you noticing for a long while. And then when you do notice, you, you romanticize and you cope with it and they know that it will be hard for you to detach from them once they hook you. They know you have a harsh inner voice that internalizes and blames yourself when things go wrong in interpersonal relationships and they know they can reinforce that and use it to their advantage to control you. Okay. So the good news is once you figure this out, you can change it and learn to survive in a better way um, and leave them. You really can. I'm telling you, you will not even recognize the person you once were once you, once this all clicks for you, you won't feel unworthy anymore. You won't feel unloved. You won't feel so lonely with just yourself. You won't want that kind of relationship anymore. You won't even want it. When you start putting yourself first and loving yourself, your missing them will fade away because you start to see you never needed them for love in the first place. You are love and you can provide that for yourself and you can have boundaries and only receive outside love and let it in from people who treat you with dignity and respect. So there's my, my episode on missing someone that treats you badly and kind of the psychology of abuse. And I, you know, I think that, I don't think I know if if you do things to help yourself kind of go back and figure out, you know, this attachment style and, and where your thought processes came to get you to a place where you ended up in this situation through therapy um, and educating yourself and you learn to get out of that routine Um, and look for different things in life, you're going to feel so much better and you're going to have better people in your life and you're going to have good quality love in your life, which is what you deserve. So chew on that and I hope you guys have a good day. Till next time.